Chapter Twelve of Traylon by Max Brand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Chapter Twelve, The First Day. Mile after mile of the rough trail fell behind him, and still the pony shambled along at a loose trot or a swinging canter. The steep upgrades it took at a steady jog, and where the slopes pitched sharply down, it wound among the rocks with a faultless sureness of foot. Certainly the choice of Nash was well made. An eastern horse of blood over a level course could have covered the same distance in half the time, but it would have broken down after ten miles of that hard trail. Dawn came while they wound over the crest of the ridge, and with the sun in their faces they took the downgrade. It was well into the morning before Nash reached Logan. He forced from his eye the contempt with which all cattlemen feel for sheepherders. I suppose you're here asking after Bard, began Logan without the slightest preamble. Bard? Who's he? Logan considered the other with a sardonic smile. Maybe you've been riding all night just for fun. If you start using your tongue on me, Logan, you'll wear out the snapper on it. I'm on my way to the A Circle Y. Listen, I'm all for old man Drew. You know that. Tell me what Bard has on him. Never heard the name before. Did he rustle a couple of your sheep? Logan went on patiently. I knew something was wrong when Drew was here yesterday, but I didn't think it was as bad as this. What did Drew do yesterday? What did Drew do yesterday? Came up as usual to potter around the old house, I guess. But when he heard about Bard being here, he changed his mind sudden and went home. That's damn queer. What sort of looking feller is this Bard? I don't suppose you know, eh? queried Logan ironically. I don't suppose the old man described him before you started, maybe. Logan, you're a poor old homesick maverick. Do you think I'm on somebody's trail? Don't you know I've been through with that sort of game for a hell of a while? When rocks turn into ham and eggs, I'll trust you, Steve. I'll tell you what I done to Bard anyway. Yesterday, after he found that Drew had been here and gone, he seemed sort of upset. Tried to keep it from me. But I'm too used to judging changes of the weather to be fooled by any tenderfoot ever used school English. Then he hinted around about learning the way to Eldera, because he knows that town is pretty close to Drew's place, I guess. I told him, sure I did. He should have gone due west, but I sent him south. There is a south trail, only it takes about three days to get to Eldera. Maybe you think that interests me. It don't. Logan overlooked this rejoinder, saying, Is it his scalp you're after? Your ideas are like nest eggs, Logan. And you set over em like a hen. They look like eggs, they feel like eggs, but they don't never hatch. That's the way with your ideas. They look all right, they sound all right, but they don't mean nothing. So long. But Logan merely chuckled. He had been long on the range. Nash turned his pony and trotted off in the direction of the A Circle Y. The sheepherder called after him. What you say cuts both ways, Steve. This feller Bard, he looks like a tenderfoot. He sounds like a tenderfoot. But he ain't a tenderfoot. Feeling that this parting shot gave him the honors of the meeting, he turned away, whistling with such spirit 
that one of his dogs, overhearing, stood still and gazed at his master, with head cocked wisely to one side. His eastern course Nash pursued for a mile or more, and then he swung sharply to the south. He was weary, like his horse, and he made no attempt to start a sudden burst of speed. He let the pony go on at the same tireless jog, clinging like a bulldog to the trail. About midday he sighted a small house cuddled into the hollow of the hills and made toward it. As he dismounted, a tow-headed, spindly boy lounged out of the doorway and stood with his hands shoved carelessly in his little overall pockets. "'Hello, young feller. Lo, stranger. What's the chance of bunkin' here for three or four hours and getting a good feed for the hoss? Never better. Give me the hoss. I'll put him in the shed. Feed him grain.' No, you won't put him up. I'll tend to that. Looks like a badin. That's it. But a sure goer, eh? Yep. He led the pony into the shed, unsaddled him, and gave him a small feed. The horse first rolled on the dirt floor, and then started methodically on his fodder. Having made sure that his mount was not off his feed, Nash rolled a cigarette and strolled back to the house with the boy. Where's the folks? he asked. Ma's sick a little, and didn't get up today. Pa's down to the corral, cussin' mad. But I can cook you up some chow. All right, son. I got a dollar here that'll buy you a pretty good store knife. The boy flushed so red that by contrast his straw-colored hair seemed positively white. Maybe you want to pay me? he suggested fiercely. Maybe you think we're squatters that run a hotel. Recognizing the true western breed even in this small addition, Nash grinned. Speaking man to man, son, I didn't think that, but I thought I'd sort of feel my way. Which I'll say you're lucky you didn't try to feel your way with Pa, not the way he's feeling. In the shack of the house, he placed the best chair for Nash and set about frying ham and making coffee. This, with crackers, formed the meal. He watched Nash eat for a moment of solemn silence and then the foreman looked up to catch a meditative chuckle from the youngster. "'Let me in on the joke, son. Nothing. I was just thinking of Pa. What's he sore about? Come out short at poker lately? No. He lost a hoss. Ha, ha, ha.' He explained. He lost his only standing joke, and now the laugh's on him. Nash sipped his coffee and waited. On the mountain desert one does not draw out a narrator with questions. There was a feller come along this morning on a lame horse, the story began. He was a sure enough tenderfoot, leastwise he looked it, and he talked it, but he wasn't. The familiarity of this description made Steve set up a trifle straighter. Was he a ringer? Maybe. I don't know. Pa meets him at the door and asks him in. What do you think this feller comes back with? The boy paused to remember, and then, with twinkling eyes, he mimicked. That's very good of you, sir, but I'll only stop to make a trade with you, this horse and some cash to boot for a durable mount out of your corral. The brute has gone lame, you see. Pa waited and scratched his head while these words sort of sunk in. Then he says, very smooth, I'll let you have the best hoss I've got, and I won't ask much cash to boot. I begin wondering what Pa was driving at, but I didn't say nothing, just held myself together and waited. Look over there to the corral, says Pa, and pointed. They's a hoss there that ought to take you wherever you want to go. It's the best hoss I've ever had. It was the best horse Pa ever had, too, 
It was a piebald pinto called Joe, after my cousin Josiah, who's just a plain badden and raises hell when there's any excuse. The piebald, he didn't even need an excuse. You see, he's one of them hosses likes company. When he leaves the corral, he likes to have another hoss for a running mate, and he was just as tame as anything. I could ride him. Anybody could ride him. But if you take him outside the bars of the corral without company, first thing he done was see if one of the other horses was coming out to join him. When he seen that he was all laid out to make a trip by himself, he just naturally started to raise hell. Which Joe can raise more hell for his size than any hoss I ever seen. He's what you call an educated bucker. He don't fool around with no pauses. He just starts in and figures out a situation, and then gets busy sliding the gent that's on him off in the saddle. And he always used to win out. In fact, he was known for it all around these parts. He begun nice and easy, but he worked up to a fiddler playing a favorite piece, and the end was the rider lying on the ground. Whenever the boys round here wanted any excitement, they used to come over and try their hands with Joe. We used to keep a pile of arachna and stuff like that around to rub them up with and tame down the bruises after Joe laid em cold on the ground. There wasn't never anybody could ride that hoss when he started out alone. Well, this tenderfoot, he looks over the hoss in the corral and says, That's a pretty fine mount, it seems to me. What do you want to boot? Ah, twenty-five dollars is enough, says Pa. All right, says the tenderfoot. Here's the money. And he counts it out in Pa's hand. He says, What a little beauty. It would be a treat to see him work on a polo field. Pa says, It'd be a treat to see this hoss work anywhere. Then he steps on my foot to make me wipe the grin off my face. Down goes the tenderfoot and takes his saddle and flops it on the piebald pinto. And the piebald was just as nice as milk. Then he leads him out of the corral and gets on. First the pinto takes a look over his shoulder like he's waiting for one of his pals among the hosses to come along, but he didn't see none. Then the circus started, and believe me, it was some circus. Joe hadn't had much action for some time, and he must have used that weight thinking up new ways of raising hell. There ain't enough words in the Bible to describe what he done, which maybe you sort of gather that he had to keep on performing, because the tenderfoot was still in the saddle. He was. And he never pulled leather. No, sir, he never touched the buck and strap, but just sat there with his teeth set and his lips twisted back, the same smile he had when he got into the saddle. But pretty soon, I suppose Joe had a chance to figure out that it didn't do him no particular harm to be alone. The minute he seen that he stopped fighting and started off at a gallop, the way the tenderfoot wanted him to go, which was over there. Damn my eyes, says Pa and couldn't do nothing about it but just stand there repeating that with variations because with Joe gone there wouldn't be no drawing card to get the boys round the house no more. But you're looking sort of sleepy, stranger. I am, answered Nash. Well, if you'd seen that show you wouldn't be thinking of sleep, not for some time. Maybe not, but the point is I didn't see it. Do you mind if I turn in on that bunk over there? Help yourself, said the boy. What time do you want me to wake you up? Never mind. I wake up automatic. So long, bud. He stretched out on the blankets and was instantly asleep. End of chapter 12